said that prayer, in essence, is a conversation with God. It's when, we, when God initiates the conversation by speaking to us, revealing himself to us and, and his will to us through his word, through his written word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we respond in light of what it is that he's revealed to us. And that response is our prayer to God. So prayer is a conversation with God. Uh, in week number two, we, we talked a little bit about uh, the manner in which we should pray. If we're going to come and converse with the creator God, how should we come? And we saw that it should be in sincerity and secrecy and in simplicity. And we talked a great deal about that. In the last two weeks, we just talked about the matters of prayer. In other words, what is it that we should be praying for? And we looked at Jesus' instructions specifically about what we ought to pray for. We took two weeks on that. And now this week, we, we end up, and I really want to focus on the confidence of prayer. The confidence of prayer. Now, notice I didn't say confidence in prayer, because to be honest with you, I don't have any confidence in prayer. I have a confidence of prayer. You say, what's the difference? Well, I don't have any confidence if I go out and pray to a frog that that's going to bring about any change at all, all right? Uh, I don't have any confidence just in prayer itself. Instead, we have confidence in the God to whom we pray. It's kind of like, I I really don't like that phrase, the power of prayer. You know, we always get the goosebumps when we hear that. But there's, I don't think there's any power in prayer itself. There's power in the God to whom we pray. Are you guys tracking with me on that? I don't don't want, in other words, I don't want this prayer to seem like some magical thing. Oh, do you do it? Hey, are are you doing the new thing, the prayer thing? I mean, the prayer thing is like magical. No, no, it's the God to whom we're praying to. That's, that makes all the difference in the world. And so really what I'm asking then this morning is this, when we say the confidence of prayer, we're really asking the question, can we be confident that prayer actually does anything? Can we be confident that prayer actually brings about any kind of change? Can we, can we be confident that, that God hears our prayer and that he'll actually answer that prayer? If there's one thing that we've learned from this series, and I hope that we've learned more than one thing, by the way, uh, but I I certainly hope that the one thing that we've learned is that if you're going to pray a God-honoring manner is instructed to us by the word that we've unpacked, that it's, it's difficult to do. It's, it's work. It's not fly-by prayers. It's, it's spending time immersed in prayer, communicating and conversing with God. And so what I think God wants to do is to be able to encourage us to, to keep doing the hard work of prayer is to promise us and to give us confidence that he hears our prayer and that he responds to it. And that's what this text is all about. This text is the assurance that God hears and responds to us. And we see two major things. First of all, we see a command, and then we see a promise. And we're going to look at both of these. So we're going to look at a command, unpack that a little bit. We'll get to the the promise. We'll unpack it real quickly, and then we'll start bringing some points of application to it there. So let's first of all, let's look at the command that Jesus provides for us here in verse 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So there's three major verbs here. Ask, seek, and knock. Now, commentators are kind of divided here. Some of them think that ask, seek, and knock are really nothing more than synonyms. That is, that they just all basically mean the same thing. You're just saying them in different ways. Other commentators would suggest, no, there are distinctly three different commands, and I fall into that second category. I think that God is commanding us underneath the umbrella of prayer. I think that's the context. But I think what he's saying is within prayer, there are three specific things that I want you to be doing. 
And what we find, and what's interesting about each of the verbs is they're actually present imperatives, which, which doesn't mean anything except for the fact that what it tells us is that what he's calling us to do is not something we do periodically, but it means that we're supposed to do it and continue to do it and never stop doing it, all right? That's, that's essential. So don't just pray and do these things to ask the seek and knock during difficult times in life. You need to be doing them all the time. It's the very essence of the Christian life that we're per- perpetually dependent upon God, our Father. And so that's the verb tense. And so what does all of this mean? Well, let's look at them individually just for a moment. When he says ask, it's very simple, not rocket science. He's saying, hey, listen, if you have a need, ask me. If you need some help, ask me. Now, the question that I always have in light of Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, which says that God already knows what you need before you ask it. As a kid, I would always be like, then what's the point of asking, right? And, and some of you may still be like that. Why are we asking again if he already knows what we ask? And, and, and I could give you kind of the adult parent answer that you give to your kids and I give to mine sometimes. When we tell them to do something and they go, why? We say, because I told you so, right? And we expect that to be enough. And honestly, that should be enough for us, shouldn't it? If God says to pray always and always ask for your needs and for your help and to be in a perpetual state of that, then that should be enough. The only reason why I say that is because oftentimes I don't fully understand all of God's commands. Sometimes in my mind, in my fallen mind, they don't always make sense. The whole, hey man, if somebody slaps you in the right cheek, turn and offer him your left, right? So at the moment, that whole teaching, and I know what the teaching means, it doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense. But what we do is when we don't understand what God is calling us to do, we rest in our trust upon him that what he tells us to do is ultimately the right thing. So it should be enough, just the clear fact that God says, never stop asking and requesting of me the things that you need and you need help in. Just keep asking me to be able to do those things. And, 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 and so when he comes and he, and he tells us and he describes uh, us to be able to do that, we have confidence now that, that God is a benevolent God. I think that's really the key. It's not just that God is commanding us to do it. He's commanding us to do it because the Bible teaches us that God, now note this, God loves to give good things to his children. I need to say that again because we suffer from the name it, claim it, prosperity gospel, and we've been pushed to such an extreme that now we're afraid to ask God for anything, and we're wondering if he's not like, a, a, like some kind of spinster, right? Like, like he's a coupon cutter when it comes to like giving... No offense to my wife, by the way, if she's here or any of you other ladies, but he's not sitting there going, okay, let me see what I have on the clearance rack for you today, all right? He, God is a benevolent, gracious God that wants to provide every need that you have across the board. That's good news and something to celebrate in God. When we look at scripture in, Matthew, in Psalms 2, 7, and 8, God says to Jesus, he says, you are my son. He says, today I become your father. Ask for me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possessions. Now, I understand in context that that's a messianic psalm, that God is giving a, a, an expressed praise of his son, Jesus Christ. And we understand there's a difference between Jesus and us, yes? Good, all right, that's, that's good. Jesus is the savior, he is perfect, he is God. And so what happens is God says, because I'm pleased with you, I wanna be benevolent and give you everything that your heart desires, he says. Now, okay, we understand that's a unique place for Christ the savior of the world, but there are some similarities. The similarity is that because of the completed work of Jesus Christ, that those who repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ in whom God saves and regenerates, they become what? Children of God. 
and we begin to share in the same loving, benevolent, generous heart that God has. Does that make sense? So we have access to that. So here's some news, just so that you clearly know, God wants to help you. God wants to be able to meet your needs. He loves spoiling his children by being the one who gives them everything that they need. You, you guys got that? See, some of you are still like, I, 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 don't know, I don't know if I trust you on this. Yes, God is, it's, he's a benevolent God. That's what he wants. Listen, he wants to say yes to you. We got to get this in our mind. When my three oldest kids were, were really young, they were just toddlers, and uh, we went for the very first time down to my mom's house in South Florida, and you could tell she hadn't had kids around for a long time because there's all kinds of like sharp objects and inexpensive things like that are this high. And we get into the house and we're like, oh no, right? We walk in, but instead of my mom like picking up the stuff, like, I'd pick them up and put them somewhere, and she'd take them down and put them, put them back down. And I'd be like, Mom, that may not be the best thing. So the whole week, all she did was saying, no touch, no touch, no, 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 no touch, no touch, no touch, no touch. She said it so many times that at the very end of the week, my son Caden began to refer to her as Grandma No Touch. Okay, all right? And, and that's how, the, for a long time, they were referred to, go, what about, is that Grandma No Touch? Yes, Grandma No Touch, that's how you know her. Listen, God is not Father No Touch. Okay, just understand, just let that get in you for a moment. He's, he didn't sit there and bless you with all this world and put all these wonderful things and awesome things all around you. And I'm just going to let you, I'm going to be vindictive of you and let you look at them, but no touch. I, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not, he's benevolent. He's a father who wants to give to us. So that's what he means. Keep asking. Whatever it is, go to him and continue to ask for him. Second is that we seek. Now, when he talks about seeking, he's not talking about seeking God's stuff. He's talking about seeking after the person of God. And this is a consistent element throughout Scripture from Genesis to the book of Revelation. We see this idea called to seek him, Jeremiah 29, 13. It says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Isaiah 55, 6 says, seek the Lord while he can be found. Call upon him while he is near. Proverbs 8, 17 says, they that seek me find me. So the command we're constantly to be seeking God at all times and at all moments. And seeking him, what does it mean? Not only are we seeking the person of God and what he is like, but we are seeking to do the will of God as well. That's why we seek him. God, what would you have us do? What would you want for us? How do we make decisions? And how do we do that, church? How do we find out more about who God is? How do we find out about his will? We go one place. Where is it? The word of God. Very good. We go to the word of God. It's where he reveals through special revelation about what he's about and about his will. Now, sometimes when we look through the word of God, okay, he just very clearly lays out what his will is for us sometimes. But the truth of the matter is we can't just open up the Bible in every situation that we think of and look exactly to one verse and know exactly how to navigate all the decisions that we have to make through our life, do we? God didn't do it that way. If God had laid out every single possible scenario and gave you the answer of turn, whether to turn right or turn left, it, it wouldn't, the Bible wouldn't be a book. It would be the Library of Congress. You, you, you get that. Instead, what he's done is he's given us one book that is sufficient for us. And what that means is it tells us enough about who God is and gives us the general principles about how we should live that he wants us constantly seeking him and his will in his word. And it's through that hard work and diligent work of seeking God in the scriptures that God begins to answer our prayer and to be able to navigate us for life's choices. Does that make sense? If he gave us every single answer, it would do a couple things. Number one, it would be a great big giant book that we can never haul around. And number two, the difficulty would be is it would never require faith on our part. 
There's an aspect of faith that it requires for you and I to get into the Word and trust Him and seek Him and learn about who it is that He is. And God loves that. He loves that diligence. So now look at this. We're called to ask. We're called to seek. And finally, we're called to knock. Now, that's a little bit strange. Okay, so we're supposed to be asking and seeking, but what about the knocking? What exactly does that mean? Well, let's, Je- let, let's let Jesus um, explain it. Luke chapter 11, there's a parable there that Jesus talks about. Um, a man, he, he gets some, some, some surprise guests. They, they come into town, you know, they come at like one in the morning, and, and uh, he brings them in, and of course the tradition was to be able to feed them, but he didn't have enough bread. And so he can't go out and buy it. Everybody's sleeping, so he goes to his neighbor, and he starts pounding on the door, and he goes, hey, buddy, I need some bread. I got, I got some people in town. His neighbor says, go back to bed, bro. All right, I'm going to sleep. We're in bed. The kids are in bed. All right, you're just disturbing everything. Go away. I'm not going to give you what it is that you're asking. Come back in the morning. The guy keeps knocking. The guy keeps pounding on the door until finally he gets up and he comes and he gives the man what it is that he's requesting. Jesus tells us the meaning of the parable. It's in context. He's speaking about prayer. And he says, because of the persistence and the perseverance of this man, He was given what it is that he was seeking and asking for. God loves the perseverance of our people. Not to just come to God and not get immediately what we want, but to continue to persist and to ask and persevere on our request into God. What all of this looks like when you you take it all together, it looks like sincerity. This is what sincerity looks like. In the very first, uh, in the second week, we talked about uh, uh, the manner in which we should approach God, and we said we must, be, we, we must come before God with sincere hearts when we're asking for him. What does it look like? Here's a picture. It's continually asking, continually seeking in his word, and being consistent in our calling to him, and persistent in our calling and our need upon God. And God loves to be able to answer those prayers. That is what God calls us to do. Let me give you the promise now. Here's the promise. The promise is, look at verse 8, for everyone. Now, in everyone, let me, I hate to say everyone doesn't mean everyone. (laughs) Um, That's bad. But anyway, let me explain. In context, what he's talking about is every born-again believer in Jesus Christ. He's not talking about lost people. He's talking about those who are born-again believers in Jesus Christ. He says, everyone, follow that with me, who asks, does what? Receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is why the Greek tense is so important again. It's in the indicative mood, which means that these are not suggestions or possibilities. These are facts. He says, anybody who seeks, anybody who asks, anybody who knocks, these things will absolutely be done for them. Here's God's promise in these two verses. You ready for it? God's promise is this. God always answers the sincere prayers of his people. Always. God always answers the sincere prayers of his people. Now, that should be enough for us to begin to pray right now. If you really got it, many of you would be like, hey, I got to cut out. I got to go. I got stuff I got to be able to pray about. If we really believe that, if we really believe that God answers every single prayer, then you'd be like, bro, I'm praying about everything at all the time, everywhere. I'm always going to bring it because I always know that I'm going to get an answer from God. But you're struggling. And let me tell you why you're struggling. Because you have country music theology. All right? You, your, 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 your pastor, other than me, is Garth Brooks, and you know that he has said, thank God for unanswered prayers, right? 
And because there's unanswered prayers, you're thinking to yourself that sometimes God doesn't answer prayers. But what have we said about you building your theology, theological construct on country music? No, we said, all right? We don't do that. We base that on the clear teaching of the Word of God. And what Jesus himself is saying is that God answers every sincere prayer of every child of God every time. Here's what we need to understand. Really what Garth Brooks, if he wanted to be theologically correct, okay, what he really should say is God doesn't always answer the prayers and always say yes as a request to our prayers. So what I want to do is I want to navigate through, and hopefully this will help you bring everything to close here. Okay, God always answers sincere prayers of his people. There's four possible ways in which he answers every one of those prayers. Number one, sometimes, and our favorite, he answers yes. <laughs> That's our favorite, right? Yes, right? And uh, so God answers yes. But there are certain things that have to be in order for him to say yes. Now, I would write these down if I were you. If not, you won't remember them. But that's okay, and you'll never get a yes. Um, anyway, so here's the yes. Um, first of all, we said it needs to be sincere. There has to be sincerity, but we've already talked about that. The whole first part, the, the, the asking, the seeking, the knocking, we got that. The second, there must be obedience on your part in the midst of your request. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 22, he says, And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Now note this. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, I don't want you to think that God is not dealing with us in grace because he is dealing with us in, 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 in grace. But God knows the difference between us seeking him and using him. We know the difference when somebody is ultimately doing that. And so God understands that when a person comes to him living in blatant sin, willful, known sin, and they're in the act of that living in that sin, that when they call out to God, they're not sincere about knowing God. They just want something to use God. God knows the difference between that. And the Bible, in essence, tells us if that's the case that we're in, if we're in a perpetual state of sin, unwilling to be able to repent from the sin, and we're asking, don't expect that God is going to give us anything. This is the teaching that we find in James 1 in verses 5 through 6. We spent a long time unpacking this passage when we went through the book of James, but listen to it. He says, if, anyone, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Did you notice that? For the one who doubts is like a wave, uh, uh, is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He says, you need wisdom, ask. God promises he's going to give you that wisdom, but you better do it without doubting. And we spent time in James explaining, that doesn't mean emotionally doubting. It doesn't mean having an occasional doubt within your mind. That's not the terms that James talks about faith. Faith to James is always an action in what you do. So what James was saying is, if you're going to pray and ask for something, in this case, faith, if you, in this case, wisdom, then you better live by faith by allowing your life to be consistent with what it is that you are praying for. Example, if you sit there and say, God, we have a lot of financial needs, we need your help. And then on the next side, you go and rob a bank to be able to get the money that you feel like you need. That's doubting. That's doubting what God says that he's ultimately going to do because your lifestyle is inconsistent with your prayer request. You need the money, guess what you need to do? Go get a job. That's one thing. Do everything you can in your, it's not inactivity. Do everything that you possibly can within the will of God in trusting that when you do, that God will take care of the rest and be able to meet that need. You, you tracking with me on that? 
So we understand that. And so we understand that, that um, it, it, we need obedience in order for God to be able to answer it. Number two, uh, motivation. The motivation, or number three, I guess. Number three, motivation has got to be right. We cannot, the Bible warns us from asking all the time for our selfish gain. James, again, in chapter four, verse three, says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your sinful passions. Now, I want to make sure we, we understand what that is, right? We understand most of the time what a selfish prayer is. But I, I want you to be wary, though, because praying for yourself is not always selfish. Jesus himself, we unpacked this in our earlier study. Jesus himself told us that we need to pray that God would forgive us of our sins. That's praying for ourselves. That we need to pray that God would meet our needs. Yes, our daily needs. You guys with that? that that's not selfish to pray those things. Jesus instructed that to pray this. We, we also, I don't think that it's wrong for us to be able to pray for God to alleviate suffering for us. That may sometimes feel selfish, but I think it's okay. How do we know? Because Jesus and the Apostle Paul did it themselves. Jesus, in the night before he's about to uh, go and die on the cross, he prays in the garden and he says to, he says to the Father, he says, but not, he says, God, if it be your will, let this cup, this cup of, of suffering pass me by. Go past me. I, I don't want to take part in it. He, he requested, take the suffering away. Paul did the same exact thing in, in 2 Corinthians. He said, I entreated the Lord three times to take this affliction away from me. So both of them were asking for that. That's not always selfish. It's okay to be able to do. But here's what we see in the motivation of Jesus and Paul. Here it is, important part. Their temporal needs were never more important than the glory of God. Their greatest need and greatest desire was always that God would be glorified in all things. It's why Jesus in his prayer, when he says, he says, he says, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But then what does he say? But not my will, but your will be done. When Jesus, when, when Paul, when he gets done with the whole idea that I entreated the Lord three times, he closes with this. He says, he says, I prayed to the Lord and here was his answer. He said, Jesus answered me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul then responds and he says, then for the sake of Christ, for the glory of Christ, then I am content with my weaknesses. He says, do you see that? That's the motivation, the glory of God. When we have that motivation right, that's when God gives us a yes. Let me give you the fourth one. And this is probably the most difficult one to get your arms around, but I think it's probably one of the most important. And that is that we're consistent. And I don't mean consistent as in persistent, continuing on. I mean that we're consistent in our prayers, that what we're asking for is consistent with the will of God the will of God. Let me give you some scriptures you're familiar with. First of all, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Jesus says it in a different way in John chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. Notice how he says it here. Jesus said, whatsoever you ask in my name, to ask in Jesus' name is parallel or synonymous with asking for the will of God to be done. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that your Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So here's how we know that we can always have our a yes to our answered prayer, and that is to always pray according to the will of God. But you guys are not excited about that because you're incredibly smart church people, all right? And that is, you're like, yeah, but there's a catch in that. Yeah, the catch, you know, God's got a catch in that. What is that? Well, then how do you know the will of God? That's, that's the next question. How do we know the will of God? 
Well, let's say that we do know the will of God, his commanded will of God, because we read it in the word of God. Hey, let me just give you a hint. If you're wondering what the will of God is and you want to know no matter what, whenever the Bible says, for this is the will of God, that's a hint. Okay, you got that? Because he will do it on occasion. He'll say, for this is the will of God. And you're like, oh, the will of God. That's it. That's, that's what I should be praying for. And there are certain things that we know that are his will. For example, when he says to pray for wisdom, I'll give it to you. We know that we're going to get it because that's praying according to his will. Makes sense? We don't have to worry about it. When we begin to pray that God would send laborers into the harvest, right? So, so, so that they would be born again and people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're praying according to his will. He's telling us exactly how to pray according to his will. We know that we get a yes on those things. But you and I both know that there's a lot of things, as we just kind of had mentioned before, that, that there are aspects of God's sovereign will that we, that we don't know what it is. Would you agree with that? There's some things that God has that, that we, we call, um, that, 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 that don't flex, if you will. Um, it, it, there are things within the word of God that our best word for it is to be fixed. That means that no matter what we do or no matter what we do, nothing changes the sovereign will of God. Nothing can change that. Um, there are aspects of God's sovereign will that nothing we do in our prayers for or against will change God's ultimate sovereign will. Okay, that's fixed. But here's the good news. There are some things within my life, within your life, and within the life of the world in which we live that are not fixed. They're fluid. They're fluid. And God himself has determined and proclaimed that prayer impacts all of those fluid issues and things inside of our life. In other words, your prayer, based on God's sovereignty, is, brings about change. Listen to this. Even change within the way of what God is ultimately doing. Let me give you an example of that, okay? Ezekiel, Exodus chapter 32, verse 9 through 10, we see Moses there. God says, I've had it with these people. I'm going to wipe them out. Moses goes, and he begins to pray to God. God, don't wipe them out. Here's his actual prayer. He says, O Lord, turn from your fierce wrath and repent of this evil against your people. Now, when he says God repent, he's not doing it in the way that we repent, is that God has sin to repent from. He's just saying to turn from your actions and what it is that you're ultimately going to do. And it's interesting because God responds to his prayer. And, And the Bible says, and the Lord repented, that is that he turned, he didn't do what he wanted to do of the evil in which he thought that he would do to his people he stopped doing it and so here's the big theological question you get in seminary all the time is had he not prayed would god have wiped the people out the answer to that is yes yes this is why when we read passages like james chapter 4 and verse 2 it makes sense when the bible says things like you have not because you ask not what god is ultimately saying is hey there are a bunch of things in this world that are fluid And I have determined within my own sovereign will for your prayers to make a difference. And I have all this that I'm willing to do for you and to give for you and to provide for you and to provide for your people if you will only come to me and ask me. So there are a ton of things that never happen within the life of the church and in our lives simply not because God's not willing, but simply because we failed to be able to ask God to begin to do those things. So here's the next logical question. But Pastor Mike, How do you determine what is fixed and what is fluid? Here's the answer. You can't know. You can't know. I wish I did just like you, but you can't know. Oftentimes, it's the prayers that ultimately demonstrate what was the sovereign will of God in that. 
whether he had determined to allow your prayers to make a difference. We see this, right? There's somebody that, that everybody says there's no way that this person is ever going to be able to live. We begin to pray for them, and we pray, dear God, please heal this person. We know you can, but your will be done. And sometimes that person is miraculously healed, and we're all sitting about scratching our head going, how, how do you think that happened? Well, because God allowed us to be a part and partner with him and pray for things that he was willing to be able to give us. Sometimes we pray that prayer and people pass away. And we have to be equally as okay with that. Equally as okay with that. Of saying, there, you know, obviously in God's sovereign will, we don't have to sit back and go, oh, like so many people do, and go, oh, I guess I just didn't have enough faith. I guess I, guess I just didn't ask in the right way and start beating yourself up instead of just accepting that God's sovereign will was to be done because that's how we prayed. Come to him and say, God, this is what we would want. This is what we think the best thing is. But not my will, but your will be done. Does that, does that help at all? Help at all? There's another answer that we can get, and that's our favorite answer from God, and that's no. We love that. We love when God says no to us. We love no's. Um, I'm not really sure. I, let me just say this very quickly. Uh, y'all with me real quick? Is it okay if I go through the rest of this? So he says no. Even if you say no, stop. I'm still going to go. So um, I was dishonest. So when he says no, the problem with the no is that it's hard whether God is actually saying a, a definitive no or if he's saying wait. There kind of is a difference there. Sometimes they're clouded, and we're not really sure which it is. But in light of that, let me say this. First, God sometimes says no before you even ask. Okay? All right? Um, sometimes your children will come to you and they'll ask for something, and you're thinking, what part of this relationship did you think I was going to say yes to that? Right? I mean, there's no way, right? Dad, can I have a blowtorch? I'm 10, right? No, son, you know, you're not 10. So anyway, I'm sorry. When I say son, I'm saying it in general, not, not my son, okay? All right, so leave him out of it. Anyway, and I'm making it worse. So let me just move on. And so, so there's certain things that we understand that, that, that are clear in the word of God. When we ask things that are clearly in contradiction to his will that is laid out in the word of God, then he automatically says no before you even ask it. But yeah, it's amazing. I want you to hear this because, because if not, then, then we're going to have to go through a lot more counseling than what we normally have to go through, all right? So save us a couple minutes. You'll come in and you'll say, well, listen, I've been praying about this and I've been praying about, you know, leaving uh, my husband for, um, you know, another man. And I'm like, why are you praying about something that God has already spoken on? And what they're doing is they're sitting back going, I'm looking for an answer to God. And you say, you've already got the answer to God. God says no. Yeah, but I'm, you know, I don't know if they're like, I think he's going to change his mind. Or maybe I'll, I don't know what's going to happen. So if the Bible is definitive about that, he may be saying no before you even ask because you ask inconsistent with the clearly stated word of God. Here's the second thing. Second, God says no, and I want to be very careful with this, by slamming the door shut. Let me be careful because I'm not one of these, I'm not trying to build the theology of open and closed door things, all right? Well, you open the door. That's why I'm working down at the bar. All right, that's why I'm selling liquor. All right, that's why I'm doing it. God opened the door. It's the only door that was open. All right, and so I want to be really careful with this, okay? But, but sometimes you just need to understand that when things come to an end and you have no possibility of getting or being part of what it is that you want to be a part, there's no possibility, that's just a clear way of God saying no to you. That can work for a job. It can work for a pay raise. It could be work for that little schmoopy that you're looking for, right? A husband, a wife. Let me... You never understand until I give you the illustration. So here it is. Throw myself under the bus again. Before I met my incredibly beautiful, awesome wife, 
not in here. Anyway, and so uh, before I did that, um, there was a girl that I was dating. And uh, I was like, hey, man, this is the will of God. Uh, this has got to be the will of God. And they're like, but hasn't she broken up with you? Yeah, but it's the will of God. We gotta, it's got to be the will of God. And so when she finally sits there and goes, I don't want you calling me, talking to me, ever doing I will get a restraining order against you if you ever deal with me. We, listen, you have to be careful with your mind and heart because you could be a crazy person by sitting there going, obviously she's not understanding the will of God. Uh, you know, so, so what you're saying then is that there's a chance, right? Is that is there a, no dumb and dumber? There's not a chance at that moment, you say, well, what if she changed her mind? You, then, then go from there. Right now, God's saying no. Move on, right? Move on. God's saying no in this way. He can say yes. He can say no. Um, he can also say wait. He can say wait. And uh, wait, his answer, wait, is only slightly less painful than no. <laughs> we, we know this, right? Uh, but the problem for us, the problem for us is that um, in my life, it seems at least the way that I'm praying and the way that my prayers are praying, it seems like waiting is almost always the answer. But here's the good news. The good news, I think God does that explicit in, uh, uh, on purpose because there's something about waiting upon the Lord and depending upon him in our prayer, you understand that, that builds our faith. We have to lean on him. We have to trust on him. If he just immediately says yes, if immediately say no, we may get, you know, we may be like, hey, thanks, you know, move on. And he becomes our, you know, cosmic, you know, vending machine. Just give me, give me, give me. But when we have to wait on the Lord, we truly have to continue to continue to ask, continue to seek, continue to knock. And during that time, our faith grows. It's kind of like what, what, um, what James says when he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, the context of this is prayer later on. And he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. God sometimes says, wait. He's not necessarily saying no. He's not necessarily saying yes. But he's saying, wait upon the Lord, because this waiting period is what you ultimately need. And we have to trust him in that. Finally, and I'm going to sum up with this. Finally, his answer can be, I don't hear you. I don't hear you. This is true for an unbeliever and for a believer. There's sometimes, again, we've already kind of hit this, that there could be sin on our life. And what it's ultimately doing is God's not responding in the way that we would want him to be able to respond. His response is, I don't hear you because there's unconfessed sin in our heart or, or, or we're dealing with a sin issue. Or we're not willing to submit and confess it to him. We see this um, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives as in as an understanding way showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. He says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's a way to hinder our prayers through the sin that we are committing on a daily basis. So for the believer, you could be praying all you want, and God just basically say, hey, man, you better spend some time in confessing sin, as we've talked about this thing, because the bottom line is, I can't hear you. Your sin is impeding your prayer. But this is also true for non-believers. Now, if, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, and, and I, want you, I want to set this straight, I want you to understand that God is under no compulsion or obligation to answer the prayer of somebody who is not his own. He has none. He has a promise, as we're reading today, to answer, always answer the prayer to the serious prayers of his people. Yes, we got that part. He makes no promise that he will for an unbeliever. Now, let's, let's unpack that theologically just a minute. 
It doesn't mean that God doesn't audibly hear, all right, the prayer of a lost person, all right? We, we say that, and it gets confusing. No, God knows all things, right? He hears all things. He sees all things. He's omniscient. And so we know that. But, but what it means is, once again, is that he has no promise to be able to do something about that prayer request. Sometimes he will. Sometimes he'll respond out of his grace and mercy to a lost person calling out to be saved, you know, from, from some horrible incident. And, and he's gracious and he's mercy that way. But he's not under any kind of compulsion to do so. He hasn't promised to be able to do so. Sometimes he'll do something in the life of a lost person's life and kind of do kind of a miraculous type work in their life to be able to try to draw them to faith in God. God can do that as, as well. Right? I mean, he's God. He can do these things. But what it's ultimately saying is that he's under no compulsion whatsoever to respond or to do anything to, uh, with a prayer from a lost person except for one prayer. And what is that? The calling out in repentance to God. God says, I will never turn anyone away who calls on my name. Anybody who calls out and says, God, save me. I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I'm worthy of death. I'm worthy of eternal punishment. I'm worthy. God, it should have been me on that cross, not you. God, would you save me? Would you forgive me? God, I'm repenting and turning from that life, and I'm submitting fully and completely to you. He says, I will hear it every time, and I will respond every time with grace and mercy and goodness. That's where we know, without a shadow of a fact, that he is a benevolent, good, gracious God. It's at the initial call for salvation. Amen? Maybe that's where you are this morning. I don't know. I'm going to ask my brother to come at this time, Nick. Nick's going to come and Nick's going to play. And and what we want to do, let's just stand together just for a moment. Let's stand together just for a moment.